Now, I want to show you uh, a commercial. Don't you love commercials? Okay, when you're watching a show and a commercial comes on, it's like a cliffhanger. It's probably not the greatest thing to see. But this commercial came out in about, um, I think it came out in 2002. How many of you guys were not born in 2002? Like, not existing quite yet, okay? So, 2002 is when this, I think 2002 is when it came out. Maybe early 2000s is when the commercial came out. It was a quite a popular commercial, and I want to go ahead and show that to you right now. All right. Oh. Have you guys seen this before? Just a fun fact, that guy doesn't uh, work for Verizon anymore. Uh, he works for Sprint. So anyway, um, so can you hear me now? Maybe you've seen a variation of that. Maybe you've heard about it. Uh, when I was growing up, at least, I remember seeing this commercial all the time. It was the can you hear me now, dude, right? And different cell phone providers, a lot of different commercials, they were all trying to fight for your business, right? And this kind of can you hear me now mentality won the hearts of many. Uh, I don't use Verizon, so it didn't win my heart. Anyways, but if you signed up for this phone company, they promise few things like great service, uh, much better than the competitors, right? They advertise in order to prove to you that regardless of your location, wherever you are, you will have a strong signal, right? That you will always be able to hear what's happening on the other end. So especially in today's day, right, a lot of you young people can relate, we feel even more needy when it comes to being connected with our world, right? We have our smartphones, we have social media, and all these things that help us connect to the world that we live in today. And I'm sure many of you guys, if we had taken away your phone for a week, you would go crazy, right? You'd be like, oh no, I can't, con I can't talk to my friends, I can't check my Instagram or whatever, right? But this is the kind of culture that we have come to cultivate and grow up in. And even I, myself, have become a victim of that. Right? We have this desire and this weird like, eeriness to stay connected with the world around us no matter what. But what happens when we're not connected? What happens when that connection isn't good? We blame the Wi-Fi. We think like, oh, maybe I just have the wrong password or maybe they changed the password. Now, some of you guys come to church and you're like, oh, the Wi-Fi is too slow, pastor. Right? So it's not like I can do anything, right? right? We think, hey, we need maybe our phones, and if we're on a phone call and we think, oh, maybe I'm just in a bad reception area, maybe my provider sucks, maybe it's time to switch, and so on. This phrase, can you hear me now, is something that we would ask to verify or to check if someone is on the other end, if they can really hear you, right? But what if they can't hear anything? What if they can't hear and you keep asking, you may, you may start coming up with questions, things like, am I doing something wrong? Is something wrong with my service or maybe something on the other end? Last week, Pastor Enoch talked about in the joint worship, about hearing and listening to the calling that God has for us. And I think that's wonderful and great, right? We all have a calling that God has for each and every one of us here today. It's so powerful when we are able to hear that calling that God has in our lives, to live a life for his glory. But today, I want to talk about a can you hear me now moment that maybe some of us experience in our spiritual lives. Maybe we have experienced a moment in our lives where all we're saying is, can you hear me now? 
when it feels like God isn't listening or maybe God can't hear us. Or maybe we think like God is on the other end, but he's ignoring our calls. And so we ask, Lord, can you hear me now? Maybe in your spiritual walk or in your spiritual life, you talk to God, you reach out to him, but you don't get a response. And you're thinking, man, did I do something wrong? Or am I doing something wrong? Do I need to find a different provider? Do I need to find a different location, find a new church? Do I need to find a different God? Maybe my Bible is the wrong translation, or maybe this, the room that we're in doesn't have good service. Sometimes we reach out to God and we don't necessarily hear anything. And so we start to question and wonder, God, can you hear me now? So we're going to talk about these moments when you're not sure if you can hear God. And we're going to dive into a lesson about our connection, our telephone line, our mode of communication with him. So when I ask, how do we communicate with God, the most common response that we hear or that you think of, the first thing you think of is what? Prayer, prayer right? The first thing we think of is prayer. And that's very true. But there's something else that we're also going to talk about today that I believe goes hand in hand with prayer. You guys want to guess what that is? Fasting, okay? Prayer is something we always talk about when it comes to communicating with God. But when it comes to fasting, I almost feel like that we as a church tend to ignore this topic and brush by over it, right? Because let's be real. Who truly enjoys fasting? How many of you guys like to fast? Yeah. I love food, right? And I think it's an unhealthy addiction to food. Um, and when people suggest things like fasting, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, give up food? I'm like, no way. I need my food, right? But the Bible teaches us a very important lesson about fasting. And so today, we're going to not only talk about prayer, but we're also going to talk about fasting and how it can help us in our can you hear me now moments. So when it comes to prayer, there's many different things that I could talk about, a lot of different topics. Uh, but we're going to only focus on a few facets of prayer. And so this is not a complete sermon on prayer. So if I miss things or you're like, oh, pastor, like, why don't you talk about this? Uh, that was intentional, okay? So first of all, when it comes to prayer, uh, we think of it as a way of communication. Now, what is communication? Communication is usually like a conversation. It's an imparting of information or news between at least two people, right? That's what we do when we communicate. But when we think of prayer, when we are taught about prayer, we tend to focus on the communication aspect of us to God, right? I want to remind you that prayer is more than just from us to God. It's not just one way, but prayer works both ways as well, okay? When we say we have a relationship with Christ, right, I think relationships work both ways, right? Can you imagine that if you were dating someone, right, just imagine you young people, right, You're dating the girl of your dreams or the guy of your dreams, right? But you talk to this person all the time, right, but they never respond back to you. You're like, hey, you want to go eat? And they just, like, look at you. You're just like, all right, let's go eat. Maybe at first you're like, oh, well, whatever, I'll deal with this. But then after a while, you're just like, man, why does this person not talk to me, right? I think it would be terrible if I was stuck in a relationship like that. And I'm sure none of you guys would enjoy a relationship that way either. I don't think I would be very happy. In the same way, I believe when we have a relationship with Christ and when we pray with Christ, that is not simply just a one-way thing, but prayer is both ways. When we pray, we can truly have a conversation with him. It's not just about asking God for things. It's not about just, you know, begging him to do this or that for us. But it's telling God about our days. As we talk to our friends, family, it's the same way that we should be communicating with God. And that's the kind of invitation that God has for you and I. 
You know, it's interesting because this is what prayer life was like for so many people that we find in the Bible, right? It was a very both-way, two-way conversation. They would call out to God, and God would respond. Think about it. God spoke to Job. He had a conversation with Job. God spoke to Isaac, to Jacob, to Samuel, to King David, to Elijah, to Jonah, okay? All these prophets, like all these kind of people, you see that God is having communication, a both-way communication with people, right? So when we cry out to God in prayer, I want to rest assure you that God wants to have a conversation with you and that he will speak to you if you allow him to do so. So you might be wondering, okay, what does that even sound like, right? How does that even work? You see, God speaks to us, I believe, in many different ways, right? I can't tell you that I've literally heard the voice of God or anything like that, but I can tell you that God will work through people, through events, through encounters, through signs, right? God works in nature, but God also works through the silence. But the thing is this, it is only when we pray to God, when we communicate with God, that we are able to see and notice these things happening around us in the ways in which God speaks to you and I. So I pray, the second thing I want to bring up is I pray uh, that we do not belittle uh, the power of prayer. I'm a strong believer in prayer, and I hope you guys can catch on to this as well. Um, but I believe that prayer has such an impact on the individual, on the community, and for our church. You see, I believe that when we pray, okay, we are allowing God to come into our lives. We're allowing God to do more than we could ever imagine. Because we are inviting him to become a daily part of our routine. I'm not saying that if you don't pray, God is not going to work for you. I promise you, God will still work with you, regardless if you pray or not. But when we pray, we are allowing God to work in a powerful way much more than if we were not to pray. When we pray, we become channels in which God pours out his love, his mercy, his grace, and his power. And this is the crazier thing. When we pray to God, okay, it's not like God pulls out his phone, he gets like a notification and says, Jimmy prayed, blah, 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 right? And God is like, oh, well, I gotta respond back to this now. No, it's not that. God is eagerly waiting to respond back to you, right? He's waiting for us to open up our hearts in prayer, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I think that's so beautiful, right? Okay, so you might be wondering, okay, pastor, like this is a very like surface level, like what prayer is all about. Uh, you might be wondering, what are some practical advice and how we can enhance in our work in our prayer life. And I thought of four simple steps. Um, the first one is make time, right? To set aside time each day to be alone with God, right? I think this is so important, and we fail to do this a lot of the times, right? We get so busy with our morning routine, with our evening routines, our daily routines, that we fail to set aside time for God. So I want to challenge you as a church to find time in the middle of your day, in the start of your day, or even at the end, to take time to pray and be alone with God. The second thing, to prayerfully read the Bible. I think this is something that sometimes we just think, oh, I gotta do my devotion, so we pull up in the Bible and we just start reading. But I wanna challenge you that if you want to hear God speaking to you, to prayerfully read the words that are found in the Bible. See what God wants to say to you as you read each verse, each chapter, whatever you're reading, and see how God can work in your life there. The third one, and this is something that uh, has been greatly helpful for me, is to learn to pray aloud, right? 
tend, we tend to, as we pray, we get so caught up with our thoughts, and when we're so busy, sometimes we get distracted, and our, our mind starts to wander. We're like praying about like, oh, pray for Jimmy. I don't know why I keep saying Jimmy today, uh, but pray for Jimmy, pray for everything that he's doing, like, and then we're like, oh, yeah, Jimmy owes me $5, right? And we start, our minds start to drift. And so when you pray aloud, you might look like a crazy person, but I promise you that you will be able to focus better and really hear what God has to say for you. And the last thing is have a prayer buddy, right? Have an accountability partner. To find someone that is willing to check up on you, but, hey, did you pray aloud? Did you prayerfully read? Did you make time to pray for God or pray with God today, right? Having someone keep you in check is one of the greatest things that we have as a community in the church. And I want to challenge you to take advantage of the people that we have in this room, not, not in that way, but take advantage of the community that we have in our church in order for us to grow in our prayer life and to grow closer to God. Now, this concept of prayer, this is a very brief uh, description of prayer, but the concept of prayer is talked about over and over in the Bible. But along with prayer comes this concept of fasting that we always tend or seem to ignore. And we almost never talk about it in the church. Fasting along with prayer is something um, that was practiced and taught in the life of Jesus. And I believe that we should be following along hand with this. Now, I do want to say this before I um, say any more about fasting. Even though the Bible mentioned and talks about this concept of fasting, the Bible never says that fasting is meritorious. Okay? Do you guys know what that means? Okay? It is not meritorious. But what that means is, is just because you fast doesn't mean that God is going to reward you more, right? Or give you a head start when you get in line for heaven or put more jewels on your crown. The Bible never says anything about fasting being meritorious, right? This was the fallacy that the Pharisees would fall into. This is the trap that they would always fall into. The ideal that by their actions and the things that they do, that they would get a head start, right? That their works were all meritorious. They were going to get salvation because they did these things, right? That's not the case. I want to be very clear that fasting is not meritorious to salvation, but I strongly believe that it is essential for our Christian walk, right? So we as Christians, we tend to have this understanding and this misconception that if doing something doesn't lead to our salvation, then we like scratch it off and don't do it, right? For example, we talk about diet, right? Or the Levitical laws and whatnot, right? They're not necessary for salvation. Just because you eat chicken doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven, right? Just because you are a vegetarian doesn't mean you're going to get a head start in heaven, right? But um, I believe the Bible teaches a very holistic lifestyle and approach to living. And so with that being the case, I believe that they're not necessary, but they are essential. Does that make sense? Okay. In the same way, I strongly believe that prayer and fasting are not necessary, uh, necessarily uh, meritorious to your salvation, but I believe to have a more holistic, whole approach uh, to our Christian walk, that it is truly an essential thing. So fasting is something that Jesus practiced and preached. And I love it when, when we find things where people, you know, not only just talk about it, but they actually live it out. And Jesus, uh, mad respect to him, because he did exactly that, right? So let's look at Matthew 4, 1 and 2. And it says, Then Jesus was led up uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. And this was the beginning of his ministry, right? As Jesus began his ministry, he went to the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. Uh, before the temptations happened, Jesus was fasting. If Jesus fasted, how much more should we fast, right? If we truly want to be like him, if we want to reflect his character, we should also be fasting as well. 
And I'm not a doctor, so I don't recommend you know, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, but the concept of why fasting is important is prevalent here. Even before Jesus began an important part of his ministry here on this earth, and is an important part of the plan of salvation, before he started his ministry, Jesus went out to the wilderness and had a period of fasting. And you see, it was through this period of fasting that Jesus was able to prepare and to brace himself for the ministry that was yet to come. So I want to look at what Jesus had to say as he began his ministry, and he taught the greatest sermon ever told in the Beatitudes. In Matthew 6, uh, 5 to 18, we're just going to read certain parts of it, though. But Jesus here talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting as well. So Matthew 6, 5 to 6, we'll just read this. It says, And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We'll skip down to verse 16 and 18. It says, And whenever you fast, do not look to small like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? So if you look at verse 5 and verse 16, it says very clearly, whenever you pray and whenever you fast. Jesus does not say if you pray and if you fast as if it was an option. Jesus clearly states that both prayer and fasting are a necessity. So as we look at our lives, we look at our condition and the state in our Christian walks, I feel like that we have forgotten something so important, so fundamental in our walk with Christ. So when we look at Jesus, uh, what he says about fasting, I'm really intrigued, honestly, what, what he has to say. Because he says that we should be fast, or we should fast so that we are not seen by others. In other words, we are to fast in secret, right? Not like the hypocrites, the church Pharisees that proclaimed that they were fasting and, and whatnot. You see, when we fast in secret, Jesus promises that there is an open external impact. Right? And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. So it's clear that Jesus did both of these things. He prayed, but he also fasted. He fasted before any important and significant decisions and moves in his ministry. Um, but Jesus also prayed constantly, right? It's very clear that we see him praying all the time. In the moments of high, in the moments of low, uh, Jesus was constantly in prayer. If Jesus, who is the Son of God, the revelation of the one and only God, is in constant prayer and communication with the Father, that just tells me, and hopefully for you, that we should be praying even more so, right? Maybe we don't pray enough. And actually, I believe that we as a church, we sometimes fail to pray enough, right? So I want to challenge you guys to pray more and to begin to fast more. As we fast forward in the life of Jesus and we look at the life of the early apostles, as they gathered in earnest prayer, right? We know that the church was a church of prayer, the early church. What makes you think that they came to God in devout prayer but with not fasting, right? They clearly fasted all the time. 
The early church in the book of Acts, we find them not only in prayer, but we find them in fasting. Acts 13, 2 and 3 says clearly, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barabbas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and set them off. Acts 14, 23 says the same thing. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. You see, there is clearly power and significance when it comes to fasting. How many of you guys have tried fasting before? Okay. How many of you guys have tried unintentional fasting? You know what that means? You go home from school and you're like, oh, I can't wait to eat. So you open the freezer, you want to pull out a Hot Pocket, but there's nothing there. You open the fridge and there's like all this healthy panchan that your mom prepared, but you don't want to eat it. So you're like, oh, there's no food. And so you fast. You guys done that before? And then your mom comes home and is like, why didn't you eat? And it's like, oh, there's nothing to eat. And then she feeds you the same panchan that you didn't want to eat, right? Okay. So uh, when I was in high school, that happened to me a lot, right? And when I was first in college, I did that all the time. I looked at the fridge, I was like, ah, I have nothing to eat. And I would just starve and do nothing, right? But I've also done intentional fasting, okay? And fasting is very interesting. Juice fast, water fast. Uh, I used to do this thing in... Um, right after I had graduated from high school, that I would fast uh, the very last week of the year, which is the most terrible time to fast. I do not recommend it because everyone is like gathering together, eating all this good food, and you're sitting there like drinking your water with a lemon, right? Um, but it's definitely an experience that changes the way that you think, you function, that you approach God. And if you haven't tried it, I want to encourage you to try. You see, when you fast, you are not only emptying your uh, physical need for food, okay? but you're emptying your heart and your mind of bitterness, worries, and differences. You're setting aside the things of life to focus on your connection, your communication, and your relationship with God. It's such a powerful experience of when you're able to empty yourself in order to allow Christ to fill that vacancy. When we fast, we empty ourselves in order for Christ to come into our hearts. So now you, you might be thinking, okay, what about that one time where there was a dispute between John's disciples and Jesus' disciples about fasting? There's clearly a dispute about it. Matthew 9, 14 to 15, it says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast so often? But your disciples, they don't even fast. So Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. I know there are people in maybe not in this church, but in the SDA community that enforce fasting on other people, right? Thinking that, oh, you must fast. We're going to fast, so you have to fast. But I want to tell you this. There is always a time and place for fasting. And this is why the disciples of Jesus were not fasting, because Jesus was there with them. Their connection was so strong. The person that they needed to connect to was literally right there with them, okay? So there is a time and place for everything. Remember that. Now, fasting is not only for food. Okay, so some of you guys are thinking like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to fast like my Hot Pockets after, you know, after school. Or you're thinking about the food, all the foods that maybe your parents are going to tell you not to eat because you need to fast. But fasting can also go towards social media. Okay, I'm talking to you young people, right? Social media to games, Fortnite, phones, right? Whatever is a distraction, okay, or whatever consumes your life. To give it up for a few days, right? I promise you, 
that you will have the chance to see God work in your life. I think we live in a society that doesn't give us a chance or a time to slow down and stop what we're doing, right? We live in such a busy world. We think about the plans that we have tomorrow, the assignment that I have to do before the end of the weekend. Am I going to make enough money this month to survive? We get so consumed by these things of life, the pleasures, the joy. And I'm not saying that these things that happen in our life are bad. I'm not saying to run away and, and, and live in the mountains. But what I'm trying to say, uh, if they are consuming your life to the point that there is no room for God in your heart, I want to challenge you to take a fast from whatever that is, right? You see, when we fast, we are denying ourselves. And when we deny ourselves, we are able to hear and follow and realign ourselves to, the God's, to God's will that he has for our lives. So as I close, uh, I want to talk about Elijah, right? So Elijah is this prophet. We know Elijah, right? Uh, this guy, the, he's done like crazy things, right? In 1 Kings 18, we find this battle between God and Elijah versus Ahab, the prophets of Baal, and Baal, right? I like to call this story the Super Bowl of the Bible, okay? Because they're literally going out at each other, battling and seeing, you know, whose offering is going to burn first. And to keep a long story short, God wins, right? He burned the entire offering plus the water and plus the whole altar in itself. Okay? Ahab, who witnessed it all, what does he do? He goes back to Jezebel and he tattletales, right? And he's like, hey, like, this guy named Elijah just killed off all these prophets, right? And so Jezebel's like, all right, we're going to kill you, Elijah. Now think about this, because this is so wild for me. This happens, right? God proved himself to the people, not only to all these people, but to Elijah as well. But Elijah's response, instead of confronting it, he simply runs away, right? And I think that's so crazy. And Elijah constantly is saying, hey, God, like, I want to end my life. I, I, don't, I don't care. Like, there's no point. Okay, what's the point of living? And as Elijah is talking to God, is he communing with God, God responds, okay, he doesn't even say anything. God just like, hmm, okay, right? Gives him some food, right? Some baked bread and some water. And Elijah wakes up, he eats it, right? And then he goes back to bed. Once again, for the second time, God wakes him up. And tells him to eat because, hey, you got a journey ahead of you. So he gets up, he eats, and then he travels for 40 days and nights until he reaches a cave. And when he gets to the cave, Elijah is in the cave, and God is like, bro, what are you doing here? Right? Straight up just calling him out. What are you doing here? And Elijah simply says this. He says, hey, God, your people, they have rejected you. They've rejected your covenant. They have torn down the altars for you. They put other prophets to death by sword, and I'm the last one, and now they're trying to kill me. Right? This is what Elijah is talking to God about. And I think this is so wild, right? Because Elijah is literally talking to God. He's praying with God, and then God says this. He's like, all right, okay, Elijah, go and stand outside the mountain in the presence of the Lord, because the Lord is going to pass by. So guess what happens, right? There's like a huge wind that like destroys the mountain. The rocks are like flying around and everything. And God is not there. And then there's an earthquake. The earth opens up and things start falling in. But guess what? The Lord was still not there. And then there was a fire, a fire that consumed everything around him. But guess what? The Lord was not there. And then after that, there was a very quiet, gentle whisper from God. It was in the midst of the quiet, in the stillness, in the silence. And that's when Elijah truly heard God's calling. So maybe you're in a situation in your life when you feel like maybe God isn't hearing you. 
You're constantly reaching out to God saying, God, can you hear me now? But you don't feel like God is responding to you. We expect these maybe grand things and these events to happen, but then when they do happen, we just, we still have this, this un unsure feeling inside of us, right? And then maybe you start feeling like, oh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe something is missing, and you start to look for different ways to experience God, or maybe even to understand and hear what he has to say for you. So I want to challenge us today as a church to pray, right, to constantly communicate with God, to allow God to work in your life by becoming a channel for his love. I also want to challenge you as a church to fast, to set aside and deny the selfish part of ourselves, whether that be foods, social media, games, movies, whatever it may be that consumes our life and distracts us from God. I want to challenge you to become empty so that God can fill the void in your heart. Because maybe in the silence is when we can hear the still whisper of God. Just as Elijah was moved by the oh-so-silent whisper of God, I pray that we as a church can experience that as well. Through prayer and through fasting, I pray that our can-you-hear-me-now moments are not moments of doubt and uncertainty, but they become moments of hope and reassurance. Let us pray.